Lucas Tigers and Bronze is brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. HGA is revolutionizing the industry by implementing software that will allow them to scan, analyze, and grade cards without subjectivity. This allows for consistent and unbiased grading. They have an easy submission process and best-in-class customer service. Their pricing model is simple. Pay by the day, not by the value of the card. And when they say 10 business days, they mean 10 business days. Hybrid grading approach. It's uh, it's not often, you know, Cage and I have interviewed quite a few people, but it's not often you get a chance to meet and have a conversation with a Super Bowl winning uh, wide receiver, uh, returner. Listen to this stat, guys. He's second all time in yards from scrimmage, only to Jerry Rice. And I bet right now, as, as we're talking about this, people are on their keyboards. They're going to eBay and looking up Brian Mitchell cards. And uh, I, it's, it's the right move. But that just pales into comparison. Cage, I know you're going to jump in here. It pales in comparison to what this man has done off the field. And we'll get into all of that. But you're second uh, to just uh, Devin Hester in return touchdowns. And I'm curious. You see this all the time. Wide receivers try to become return men. It doesn't work. Return men try to become our series. It doesn't work. From your standpoint, what makes a successful return man? How were you so successful in the league? Well, I think for me what it is, first of all, you, you, you can't have any fear. And I think that's the ultimate thing where when you, you're back there catching a the ball, it's about when you get the ball in your hand, you feel that you're going to be dictating to them what's going to happen. There are a lot of guys who are trying to catch punts and, and, and kick off by looking at the people and they're worried about who's coming down to hit them. If you're worried about getting hit, you're in the wrong business because you're going to get hit. Uh, for me, it was just trying to make sure I did the same things over and over consistently. So my offense, the guys that were blocking for me will understand where I'm going to be. Just like when you hear uh, people talking about a running back that may be a dancer, a guy who jumps one spot, try to go somewhere else. You get a lot of holding calls and things of that nature. But the guys that constantly hits it consistently, the linemen pick up a, a sense of where they're going to be and they become better doing their job. So I try to do the exact same thing. Uh, you know, and I was the guy who grew up as a quarterback. Okay. I was a quarterback from high school through college and got to the NFL and they said, you're going to play running back. I mean, running back kick return. And when I got there, I just jumped into it. And I think I was totally focused on being good at that job and not being concerned about what I used to do. It's funny. Watch this, Andrew. So, so, so how many times did you return a punt in college? Let me see. Mm, zero. Zero. <laughs> I've never, never returned, returned the punt, punt in college, college, right? He comes to he comes to the pros. He's drafted in the fifth round, right? Comes to the pros. Mm -hmm. First preseason game with the Skinner. Yes. So literally, so he plays all the college, never returns a punt. First time <laughs> returning a punt in, in an actual competition. First preseason game for the Skins, his first season. First kickoff. What do you do? I, well, I took it to the house. Took it to the house. <laughs> Never does it in college. First month, it's legit in, Disney movie time, right? Yeah, <laughs> even in high school, and, and my coaches, I was a quarterback, and they wouldn't let me play because I was a starting quarterback for my varsity team in the ninth grade. And when I got to 10th grade, 11th grade, they would never let me do anything else. And I remember David Cully, who is now the coach of uh, the Houston, Texas, he was my college quarterback coach. And I asked him, I said, because I was sharing time with this guy, Richard Pennell, and I said, Coach, let me do something else because I hate standing on the sideline. And they're like, no, nah, we can't get you hurt. I said, let me return punts or something. 
And if I had known that catching punts was going to be enough being my thing in the pros, they probably couldn't have kept me off that football field. But, you know, I wanted to do it at that moment. They didn't let me. And then I got to the pros and Wayne Severe, Pete Rodriguez were very vital in what I accomplished. And John Harbaugh, you know, even took it to another level when I got to him. So he's not going to trade it in, obviously, because you're you're thought of now as the best return man to ever play the game, both punts and kicks, you name it, right? So, mm-hmm. and 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 I think that's a, that's a, you deserve that moniker. But I'm going to ask you a fun one mm-hmm. because the game has changed. Yes, right? the game has changed tremendously, and I'm one of these like you know I go back in my time machine all the time. It's 1.21 gigawatts, right? Me, Marty McFly, we jump into uh-huh. DeLorean, we go back in time. <laughs> um, so you leave college. You leave college today, yeah. right? You leave college today, and and at the time, you're the first NCAA player to pass for more than five thousand yards and rush for more than three thousand yards, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you leave today. Tell me why you're not drafted in the first round as the next Kyler Murray, because the way the game is today, that's what I think. I think if I was coming out today and the, the offenses that they run, you know, um, the difference in what I did and what a lot of guys do today, and I think it's for. It's for most most guys in college do this. They run that spread offense from a shotgun. And I don't think much time is given to defenses because when I see scores 60-something to 60, that's just absolutely ridiculous to me. I ran the ball from under center. I did everything that they're doing from under center, which, which takes it, takes you a, puts you a little bit more into the action and you're not back there where you're doing all the, I guess, the maneuvering in the backfield. And it's tougher. Yep. But, you know, I, I, would, I think I could get drafted as, as quarterback, but my ultimate goal – uh, coming out of college was to play in the NFL. I didn't care where I went. You know, I was off to play quarterback in Canada. I could have taken the Warren Moon route, I guess. But uh, I wanted to play in the NFL, and I got the chance to go to the league, and uh, they gave me a chance. Like, when I would be, describe myself to people, they say, what do you consider yourself, running back, kicker? I'd say, I'm a football player. And that means that whatever you give me a chance to do, I'm going to work at it to become the best at it. And I was a weightlifter. I ran my butt. I ran track. And I studied my tail off to make sure I could learn the craft because the last thing you want to do is be on the field thinking. You want to just react. And I think that that is why I had the success because I put the work in. My dad was a military guy. He he instilled that in me at an early age. Do you remember your rookie year that you got to play quarterback in one game? Oh, that, yeah. game that, that game's got a fun nickname, right? Andrew, yeah. you ever heard of this? They call it the body bag game. You ever heard of this? <laughs> Never. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and 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 Brian got into it. Do you remember how you did I think I was three for six for, and went on a touchdown drive. These guys remember. These guys remember. Three for six, 40 yards passing and ran for a touchdown. Yep. So he, he did it. He did it his rookie year. I mean, I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that he could do it. Uh, no doubt. Can I hear the story behind the body back game? Why, well, why did they call it that? It was a game where we went into this game. It was Monday night football on top of that where Mark Rippon was our starting quarterback. He had gotten hurt. And we had uh, Jeff Rutledge and Stan Humphreys were the two backups. They were starting. And uh, then I can remember during that week, they had me go through a game plan. So they gave me this this uh, shortened version of the game plan. And they said, this is just in case you had to go in and play in the game at, <laughs> at quarterback. So in that just game, in case. I'm backing <laughs> up two case. quarterbacks. I'm backing up the running backs. And I'm backing up these two punt returners. Well, Walter Stanley and Joe Howard Johnson got hurt. So now I'm, I'm the punt returner. Then Humphreys and, and Rutledge got hurt. I'm the quarterback now. <laughs> and Ernest Biner got nicked up a little bit, I think, in that game as well. But I ended up having to go into the game at quarterback to finish the game at it. And uh, so my career at that point where I, I, I kind of had – I would tell coaches when I got to Philadelphia, 
I told Andy Reid, I say, Coach, if I'm the emergency quarterback, don't give me an actual game plan because it's a bad omen. And I told he knew about the game, but we played. Donovan McNabb was hurt. We go to San Francisco while I'm in Philly. In the first uh, series, Coy Detmer gets hurt. Now A.J. Philly is the backup, and I'm the next guy. So I went to A.J., and I just told him, I said, look, man, no matter what you do, <laughs> don't get hurt. He said, why? I said, I'm the next quarterback, and I'm not trying to do this again. And my last game in New York, I finished the game at quarterback because they gave me a game plan. And guess what? That omen, I guess, was the truth because I think it was Jesse Palmer and also Kerry Collins. They got hurt, and I finished that game at quarterback. Jesse Palmer, the bachelor. I love it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Jesse Palmer, the bachelor. That's great. So, I mean, think think about that. Think of the, the way that it goes, right? I mean, plays college quarterback, never never returned a punt, comes in the first one, returns a punt, ends last snap, quarterback. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. It's fun though. I mean, but like I have always told people, I said, well, when I left college, I said, I'm going to play quarterback in the NFL one day. I guess I wasn't lying. You know, I did play it twice in the NFL. (laughs) Brian, let me ask you. So I I grew up in Philadelphia in the the 2000s. Andy Reid, I have a special place in my heart for Andy Reid. He he changed that that culture around. And McNabb too. I I truthfully believe, I'm curious to hear your perspectives be seeing what's inside, but I feel he doesn't get enough love for how much winning he brought to the city. Talk to me. What was the culture like there with the Eagles? You had Brian Dawkins there. You mm-hmm. had Donovan McNabb. You had a Hall of Fame coach. I love Andy Reid. So what was the culture like there on that Eagles team? Well, it, it was one of those cultures where I think it was a, a great partnership between the coaches and the players. And I think that's – you heard Charles Barkley at the end of the basketball game last night saying that coaches need to listen to their players. And I think Andy really did that. Andy had he formed this little group, uh, like his uh, of, of veteran players that would help him run the football team, to where the players had a say in things that were going on. Now he expected us when we got on the football field to work. He didn't mind us uh, enjoying ourselves, but when we got on the field, we needed to work. And there was a couple of times where he stopped practicing and started us over from the beginning. You know, very much like Joe Gibbs. And I remember getting there and telling Andy, I said, "You remind me a lot of Joe Gibbs." And they, what do you mean? I say, well, you hire people that you believe in and you let them do their jobs. You don't try to micromanage them. So the fact that you're not micromanaging your coaches, which makes them not micromanage the players, it gives ownership to everybody. And people go out there and they feel like they're a part of something. And I, when I got to Philly, you know, I, I was on that opposing side for so many years to where it wasn't like, and I talk trash on the football field. So some of the players probably had a little funny way about me. But when I got there, I never just started telling people what to do. I just went about my business, doing the things I did. And eventually they started to ask me questions. And as they asked questions, I started to answer stuff and things started working. And they began to look at me as like one of the leaders of the team. And I, I just love that dynamic where the coach, my dad was a military guy. And I always believe in the chain of command. You know, if you give every, you, if everybody listens to the person that's above them, you know, they you, you're going to have a good thing going. But on top of that, you also get ownership in it. And it makes it work out better for the team. So that culture was great. And Donovan actually is my cousin. So it was great to get a chance to play with him and uh, have that fun with him. I think both of those guys, Andy and Donovan, don't get enough credit as they should. I think you have a – so, Cage, you jump in here because, you know, I was young when watching Brian Mitchell play. 
But you spent your entire career in the NFC East. Mm-hmm. That's pretty rare, right? Like you and you just said you're a trash talker. So here you are one season, you're talking trash to someone, and now you're on the team with them the next year. What, yeah. What's that dynamic like? You're like, dude, you were just saying some mean <laughs> shit to me last night. What? Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but the thing for me is when I'm on someone's team, I'm 100% dedicated to that team. And when I'm playing against you and my cousins in high school that I played against and my cousins and friends in college that I played against, they know when the game is going on, you are the damn enemy. And that's the way I treat it. And once I got there, I remember, uh, I think Deuce Staley, if you ever talk to him, he'll tell you this story. It's like I felt that people had a problem with me. So I just stood in the middle of the locker room and said, listen, I'm a Philadelphia Eagle now. Anybody got any problems, you know, if you got them, let's take care of this today because tomorrow I'm not dealing with any more of this, you know, little bickering and stuff behind my back. At that point, either they thought I was crazy or they said, this dude is out of his damn mind. Let's leave him alone. And we just went on and did our thing because, you know, it's just like in anything. You know, when when I was young, my dad allowed me to go out and if I had an issue with somebody, we I had to go talk to the person to solve it. If we had to fight, we had to fight. And that's the way you do things. You don't sit there and expect people to always handle like like parents that they always want to take care of their kids' issues. Well, when are they gonna learn how to deal with, with bad situations? And they're gonna learn how to talk about things and get out of things. And I became great friends with a lot of the guys that I used to talk the worst trash to on the football field in Philadelphia. So it worked out good for me. And and I guess I stayed in the East. I just couldn't go to Dallas because I think all the three cities I played for, they hate Dallas. And if I wanted to live in DC like I do, I could never have played for the Cowboys. <laughs> you, you started the B Mitch 30 uh, Foundation, right? Mm-hmm. And guys, please go take a chance, uh, take a look at it. It's B Mitch 30. Those lessons, those competitive lessons, they seem to be kind of uh, pushed out of kids today. And, and I'm not a parent. I, I'm just observing. So. Are you sharing some of those lessons uh, with your amazing foundation and all the work you're doing for uh, kids growing up in inner cities? Well, the BMS Sturdy is really my website where I, I do exactly what you're talking about. I try to get out a lot of positive uh, things that I've been that I've learned over my life. And as I said, my dad was a military guy, and I have this event coming up uh, with uh, I think it's Project Fatherhood. It's something that is based out in L.A. where I wrote a book, and I'm going to be talking about that. But which basically for me is you know, when you are a father, you have amazing influence over the lives of your kids, whether it's a boy, a girl, even your whole family. And little things that I was told as a young age, I was told I'm a Metro, I can do anything at 10 years old. So I never doubted myself anywhere that I've gone. I also remember when my dad asked me, say, he said, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, I want to be a professional football player. Then I want to be a businessman. He said, are you willing to dedicate yourself to this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, dad. So you're thinking that eight, nine years old, you're willing to dedicate yourself. Well, my dad wakes me up at 5, 30, 6 o'clock in the morning on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings to make me go out there and run and do different things at an early age. And that's all I knew. So he showed me then, if you want to do something, you got to dedicate yourself to it. And I try to do the same thing with people. And I also want uh, young kids to understand, like, we this, this society has turned into, we can blame everybody for things we don't accomplish. No, it ultimately comes down to you. You know, I don't care how much you support me. I have to go actually do the work. And if people are willing to dedicate themselves and and dive into doing the work on a consistent basis, we can accomplish anything that we want to accomplish. So I love the motivation stuff. Andrew, I'll let you get back to that in a second. What I heard, my favorite part of what we're talking about here is you're in the locker room. You're with the Eagles. It's like mm-hmm. 2000, right? You've come over. 
Yeah. You just spent the you just spent the decade with the Redskins, the division rival, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're in their ring of fame, right? The ring of honor, right? You're one of the 80 greatest Redskins. You're all this stuff, mm-hmm. right? They give you a hard time. I would be in that locker room like, all right, finally, we can punt to those guys again. You know, like, now he's going to run them back for us. Like, I wouldn't be giving you crap. I'd be like, you know, it's like if you can't beat them, join them type of stuff, right? I'd be like, let's yeah, go. Well, you know, you, Mr. Mitchell. You know, it's like, that situation, though, sometimes where there are some people who just can't get over stuff. Yeah. You know, things change. People change, you know? Uh, and they, I, when I put on that green uniform, I was dedicated to the Philadelphia Eagles at that moment, just like I was in Washington as I was in Philadelphia. And I think, you know, it, it takes us as human beings a little bit of time to get over it. But I think the fans quickly knew it. Like, I was the most hated, probably one of the most hated uh, Washington football team players to come through there. But when I got there, they truly loved me because I, I, I remember going through a store. And I made eye contact with this older young, older, I call her old young lady because she's a little older lady. And uh, she caught eye, uh, caught eye contact with me and she said, Brian Mitchell? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I got one thing to tell you. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, make sure you do for us what you, do, what you did against us, Sonny. And she walked off. And I was like, well, damn, okay. <laughs> so I knew at that point I had to bring it. <laughs> so where? Andrew, you get into the charity stuff, right? But I got to ask you, maybe you don't even remember this, right? But when you were a quarterback and you were in college, mm-hmm. you got to play QB. You had like, you know, everybody pipes up the marquee matchups, right? The quarterback versus quarterback. It's Brady versus Mahomes, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me about the QB matchup of, of, of what became the Raging Cajuns, right? Became Louisiana Lafayette. They weren't called that when you were there, right? Against, uh, what was he, in Mississippi? You versus Brett Favre, right? You, you had a QB against Brett Favre in college, right? I think Three times, uh, I'm two and one. <laughs> uh, one game, I, the best game I had, I passed a 343 and rushed for 134 against them. That was in their homecoming game, which I, I thought was a disgrace that they tried to, you know, they, they scheduled us for their homecoming. And another time in my at my stadium, we beat them uh, again, and I was I passed a 299 and rushed for 99 yards. Uh, so it, it's just. Brett and I were both, we were major independents uh, at that time. He was at University of Southern Mississippi. And whenever I played against a team that had a strong quarterback, my whole thing was I'm the best quarterback on the field today. You know, and I felt that way. Those three times we played, you put our stats together. He's nowhere close to what I was doing then. But he was able to go on to the NFL and do a, have an amazing job. I mean, do an amazing job, an amazing career. And I think I've always thought he was one of the toughest SOBs you're going to meet in your life. You know, he when you watch how he played, when he how he would go after uh, Warren Sapp and things of that nature. And I felt that, like I said, I was a football player. If at the moment the NFL didn't want to give somebody a five foot ten quarterback an opportunity, well, damn it, I'll I'll make my name in another way. And that's what I did too. So I can't complain about what I did. But when we met each other in college, I think I got the upper hand. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what the stats will say. So let me let me thank you. Not because I've ever worked with you before, and, and I don't know, you know, your parish in Louisiana, but I know you help kids down there through your charity. Um, keeping kids in the sport and, and, and you being an NFL player, you know, being involved with the kids, um, you know, especially you come from a small town, right, like 7,000 people total, right? And, you know, and you help the kids, you help kids in Washington and Philadelphia, too. I played Pop Warner football. I played Pee Wee football. You know, the we used to tell people my father was on the Giants, but I think he, you know, he, he was on the practice squad for like eight games, a nose tackle in the in the 60s right um big guy i'm i'm big guy and i'm the smallest one in my family but what was cool was you know being a an eight nine year old kid at the end of the football season 
um, we have like an award ceremony where you get your trophy, you know, and they, you know, you go up there. And every year we had giants there. I mean, Stacy Robinson showed up. I don't even know who that is, but, you know, two Super Bowl rings, right? Mm-hmm. Wide receiver. Um, you know, Jim Burt was a nose tackle, would show up well, and, you know, give the trophy, shake hands, and you get to meet yeah. him afterwards, look at a Super Bowl ring. And, you know, that was like the hugest thing in the world. Like, I wanted to be an NFL player for the longest time because you get to meet these guys and they're giving something back. And it really is a huge thing, right? You're, you're yeah. a hero to these kids. And it's, it's great to see. So I'll thank you on behalf of these. I never met you before today, but I'll thank mm-hmm. you on behalf of these kids because, you know, you'll never, you'll never know 20, 30, 40 years from now who's going to be telling a story about that time they met Brian Mitchell. I didn't mm-hmm. make it to the NFL. Um, a couple of kids who played peewee football with me did. They got a couple of major leaguers in there and stuff like that, yeah. and they got to shake, you know. So they got to shake, you know, the hands of an NFL player. Maybe they, maybe when they hold, maybe they win the Super Bowl one day. Um, I went to high school with a guy who won a Super Bowl with Tom Brady. You know, I mean, so it, you never know. So thank you on behalf of the kids for you know stuff that you're doing. It's great to be able to give back, right? I mean, that, yeah. you know, can we talk about that a little bit? Some of the stuff you're doing. Well, the thing for me is like I I, I take time with kids all the time because you never know. Which kid is, is is really looking for you to get that uh that 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 one little word of encouragement that may make them become what they are? And I I try to make sure when I meet parents, I know a lot of parents I meet they tell me their kid is the next big thing. So I ask them what kind of grades your kids have, and most parents understand where I'm going with it. A lot of parents are we're not talking about the grade. I'm like, well, if we can't talk about the grades, we can't talk about the football because you have to dedicate yourself to something. And when you come into high school and go to college, they want to see what kind of foundation you have. And that found just like when you when you when you fill out a resume, they want to see how broad of a human being you are. They don't just ask you about the just a the job. They want to know what kind of terrible the things terrible the thing, thing, things you did, what kind of sports you were involved with, because they want to see how broad you really are. You know what type of uh, in depth person we have here. And I tell them if you if your kid can't do it in school, he's probably not going to be doing it in, uh, in the football on a football field because he's not going to stay dedicated to it enough. So I make sure they have to do that. And I always talk to them about my academics, where I was one somebody who went to school with an academic scholarship as well, to make sure they understand, yes, I was where you were too. My parents were telling me, get good grades or I couldn't play sports. You know, I had to make sure I do the right things, take do chores, take out trash and do things, or I couldn't go to, uh, to the dance or whatever. So I started where you were. But I didn't just wait one day wake up on the, on the football field. You know, most of what I'm trying to do is make kids understand this is, life is about decision-making. You know, and today we have so many things that are easy for kids to screw themselves up. You know, social media, you make the wrong comment, then you're done for the rest of your life. So I try to make sure I talk about all those things. But I have uh, gone back to my school, my my, my town and sponsored, you know, uh, I work with the Police Athletic League. I've sponsored AAU basketball teams, got involved with all types of things because I just feel that they need to understand that someone that looks like you or someone that grew up where you grew up, was able to get out and do something special. Why? Because not because it was given because I believed in myself and the little things that I was being taught. Like I tell people, those adults that are telling you things, they're not just telling you this just to tell you. They're telling you because they've been through some things and they're trying to make sure you don't have to make some of the mistakes that they made. And if that happens, that'll work out great for them. How do you decipher from adults telling you or giving you advice that, but they've never actually lived that advice? Mm-hmm. versus advice from adults that have actually done it, right? I, I think in today's day and age, there's so much advice. You have to be careful also at the same time who you're listening to. Yeah, you have to be careful who you're listening to. But I think the ultimate thing is this. Just because someone is if someone is telling me about hard work and they're not a football player, but they're at the top of the level, top of the game in their profession, then they did something right. 
you know? So, and I think that's the whole thing about it to where we get so caught up in where we won't listen to a person unless they are doing what we want to do. But how about my dad? My dad was a military guy, you know, for 20 years, very successful. So when he was teaching me these things when I was younger, I wanted to be a football player. My dad boxed in the military. They had the little boxing thing. But he said, well, if you don't want to box, you want to play football, but you have to put the work in. So that, like I said, he had me out there working out, telling me things I need to do, trying to educate me on taking care of my body, although he was a chef too. You know, he cooked some of the best stuff in the world that would put extra weight on me. But it, he made me realize that you have to find the ways and you have to educate yourself in ways that's going to help you out. And then just go head first into it. And, and I, I listened to that. My brother, who never made it to the NFL, but I looked up to be like Daryl Mitchell. You know, he was a guy playing playing uh, uh, defensive end in high school. He wasn't the biggest guy. He was as strong as anybody out there. But I looked up to be like my brother. And then my brother was a guy who was very good in school. So I began to follow the things he did. And it just got me on the right path. And I think a lot of people have to understand, you don't have to look for NFL player, NBA player to necessarily get what you need. It's somebody right there in your neighborhood, somebody in your house that may be doing some good, positive things, begin to follow them. And then as you go forward, yeah, you pick up things from other people. I like to say this, and I hope anybody else that want to use it. I feel that my life is a puzzle. Everybody I meet is, is, has the opportunity to give me a piece of that puzzle to make me become whole. Some I might meet you today and that puzzle may not, that piece may not fit because I'm not in the right spot yet, but I hold on to it. And later on, it may fit somewhere in my life. And that's how things work for me. I look at it like that. I truly believe in it because everybody you meet, whether it's good or bad, you can learn something from them. I love it. Listen, this guy you're meeting over here, Andrew, he's a puzzle piece for you to hang on to. I tell you what, we had <laughs> right. prior last week. Everything found out Andrew's down in Mexico in an undisclosed location. We can't say where he is because they're telling us he's on his door. But but it turns out Irving Fry is going next week down to play. You know, he's going with his mom's birthday. Go September. Down. Andrew's going to be oh, his tour cool. guy. He's going to pick him up in the airport, going to catch him tomorrow. So see. Hopefully, I get to help Irving with his podcast and his YouTube channel. That's really the exciting because I live to serve. But thank you for that. I'm, I'm curious, Brian. So, Cage, Cage and I, we do a daily sports card show where we talk about the things that are happening in sports cards, collectibles, and things like that. And Cage always says, I need, I'm looking for a card with the it factor, okay? To me, I mean, we've talked for 25 minutes. It's clear you have the it factor for radio, for talking, for keynote, for public speaking. That's pretty obvious. You started your show, uh, I believe it was in February, yeah. uh, B. Mitch and Finlay. Yeah. What was the inspiration behind that, and what's that experience been like? Well, it JP and I have been working with each other for a long time on TV, and I've done a radio show here in the town for a long time, and he was doing things. So our company purchased a station that I used to work for, and they were like, now we want to move you to FM, which, you know, AM to FM, that's a major step. And they were like, <laughs> what are you do it with? And I, I, they were thinking JP, and I was thinking JP as well. And uh, we got us together because I'm, what, I'm 52, he's 39, so he's a little younger than I am. And... I, I think I'm a, a kind of still spunky, spicy 52-year-old. So I bring a little bit of that to it, too. And it's like he's a, a beat reporter. I'm a former player. So we kind of have that like back and forth a little bit. And you want to have some of that. But, like, what I, one thing I believe in is not, not trying to, you know, make up that type of, you know, the combativeness. If it comes, it comes. I think because people are looking for genuine uh, feelings. If we both agree or we both disagree, if it's something that we truly feel, fans will stick with you. But if you start making up stuff and you may forget what you're saying, that's going to be a problem. So the show has been going great. 
Uh, every day we think we get better and better. We like to think our, our next show is going to be the best show. And if we keep thinking that way and keep putting it in, we're going to always look to get better, not ever get uh, stagnant or complacent. This actually, you led into exactly where I wanted to go with this, and Cage knows why I'm asking this. So I, I was a college athlete, nowhere near as successful as what you were, Brian. But one Come of the on, hardest things for me to learn. Modest. Come on, you were like you, you were like Jim Thorpe. You were, I, I scored a few goals, but <laughs> I I always hedged my dreams, and uh, it's a lesson you learned when you when you're in something, go all in. I think I left two percent on the on the field, but. The hardest thing that I had to learn was how to compete in a business world when I'm not competing in a sports world. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll appreciate this, right? Like you're clearly a competitor through yep. and through. But when you're in business, you don't really see your adversary. You don't see who you're competing against. It's often just in the mirror. Was that a transition period for you? Like is, is how, how did you manage that, leaving the NFL and transition to business, pod, uh, podcasting, broadcasting, book writing, keynote, mm -hmm. all that? Well, I, I kind of, for me, I think it's exactly the same because I think the people who become the best and become great are those who do things when nobody sees them. Those who do it behind closed doors. You said earlier, I'm behind Jerry Rice. Remember Jerry, Jerry Rice, Walter Payton were guys that would run these hills and do all these different things when no cameras were there. You know, everybody's going to be at practice. And if I'm out there and the only time I'm really going to put this work in is those two hours I'm at practice and the few the hours so that I have to lift weights, then I'm going to be probably an average player. But the mere fact that I was trying to doing stuff outside of that and trying to do extra stuff to put myself in a better position, when I got in business, it was the same thing. You know, you all doing this podcast now, and when you think about it, when you get through – the next time you have to do something on someone, are you going to research them? Are you going to make sure you research all the information? So things are just going to roll off your tongue. So it's like second nature to you. You know it. Or are you going to just show up to the thing and start doing the show and not know exactly who you're dealing with and know the stuff that you need to know? So it's the same way for me since I've gotten into the business world. And even with like charitable things, and now I'm a bike rider. I'm riding bikes. So I'm watching YouTubes with bikes. I'm, I'm dedicating myself to find out to try to get better. I first got out there, I'm riding with people, a lot of people older than me, a lot of people bigger than me, a lot of women passing by me or passing on your left. That's the most embarrassing thing in the world. So I'm doing everything I can behind the scenes to make sure when I get out there in front of people again, I can uh, be justified in, in saying, look, I'm going to catch you. And I'm starting to catch people. I just think that it's, it's about work. It's about work. It's about how often you're going to put that work into it, how dedicated you are to something. And if you're doing those same things, whether it's business or sports, you have some success. You know, and you can't ever say, okay, whoo, I got this goal, now I can relax. No. When I won the first game in the NFL, I wanted to win another one. When we went to the Super Bowl, I was trying to go back to the Super Bowl. You know, it's like always trying to improve. And I always use the example of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was the best basketball player after his second, third year in the NBA. But we saw every year he improved. He added something to his game. And if we think of that when we're dealing with any sport we deal with or any business, try to improve something on a daily basis, weekly basis, yearly basis, then we'll never ever get complacent or get happy where we are. We'll like always have your goals big enough to where you're constantly going for it. You know, if, if your goals are just right here and you get there today, then what else are you going to do? It's like too good to be true, right? He's like a Boy Scout. So, you know, we do a card show, right? And, and mm -hmm. the people who are watching this, they're in uh, – they're in um, a queue to get cards graded. And guys, thanks for thanks for watching this. 
Um, you might not even know this, but Andrew, you know, if, if you're in share screen, you know, capabilities, if you, if you, um, if you get up on eBay and you see the 1988, you could put in Mick Dag, M-C-D-A-G, uh, Brian Mitchell, right? So this is, Brian probably doesn't even know this card exists, right? It, because it, it came out after his sophomore year of college. It's like a wow. pre, pre, pre-rookie card. It's done by the, by the, uh, the CDU in Lafayette, the Southwestern Louisiana University, your school. Um, mm-hmm. And law enforcement agencies, and it's funny because it's, it's got a picture. Can of you them, say, you know, say the name again? I apologize. Mick Dag. It's M C D A G. Um, what's cool about it? It's kind of like an old police card. So you'll see M C D A G, nineteen eighty eight Mick Dag, and put Brian Mitchell in. And what's cool about it? When you click on it. You know, you could tell this guy's a running quarterback. But what's funny about it is, it's got on the back of it tips from the raging cages. This is this is Brian. Where I don't even know how old he was. He's a teenager, <laughs> twenty years old. You know, you were going into your junior year, right? And it says the quarterback's the team leader. He's called upon to lead his team to victory, and you can be a leader too. Say no to drugs and alcohol. Lead, mm-hmm. don't follow. I mean, this guy's been doing this. In front, the Boy Scout here that you see in front of you has been doing this since the 80s now. Come on now. I mean, so, I mean, I guess, you know, what, what you take from that is, is you know, you live it, right? He obviously, yeah. you know, he, you know he, he doesn't just talk the talk. This guy's been walking the walk since the 80s here. So, I mean, really. It's, in, it's, in, it's about consistency. And I think, and, 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 and I want people to understand, I'm not perfect by no stretch. But you know what? People, human beings make mistakes. Just like they say, people get knocked down. So if I make a mistake, am I going to let it become a thing that I do all the time or it's going to be a one-timer? If I get knocked down, am I going to lay down there or am I going to get up? And I think that's what life is about. Life is about you're going to be going along, everything's going to be great, and you're going to stumble. What do you do to get yourself back to that point that you were? You know, Do you sit there and sulk and, oh, woe is me? No, or do you say, well, I need to get back to this? And then you can you if you probably paying attention to what you're doing, you could probably go to the point where things began to go wrong, you know. So that and that's the thing: be consistent in what you do, and always try strive to be better. And things will work out for you. It's worked for me, you know. I'm 52. I'm not about to change the way that I do things. I'm gonna keep going the way because it seems it, it helps, you know. And and I, and I seem to have a lot of people who come to me, older people, younger people, saying, "I've watched how you do things, and I'm trying to do it too." That makes me feel good because at least I'm trying. I'm doing something that people uh, respect, and, and and they try to do it as well. Love it. Okay. I'm back. curious. So uh, I'm the person. I'm the person that had some success in my early 20s, stumbled, Ooh. and picked myself back up. And now I'm at a stage where I think when you go through that process, you want to help others do that as well. Yeah. People listening to this, you know, how can they support your charitable and philanthropic uh, businesses and endeavors? Well, I think for me, it's not about necessarily helping everything I do. I would say find something that you're concerned about that's going to be deep with you, okay? Because I I believe, you know, yes, we can go ask people to and tell them that, yeah, you should help this cause, but it may not be something that touched them. No, maybe you have a family member that that you lost because of a certain uh, disease or something like that. Or maybe somebody came in and helped your family out. Find out those things that are very, very close to you because I think when you do that, then you're going to be dedicated to it. My dad died of a heart attack, so I work with the American Heart Association. My mom had breast cancer. I work with breast cancer. She had diabetes. I work with that stuff too. 
You know, there were a lot of people who reached out to me and helped me along the way. Coaches before, you know, like Lily coaches and things of that nature, adults in the neighborhood. So I try to be that listening ear for other people. And that's what I felt like. I just tell people get involved with something because we a lot of times we think charity means money. No, charity means time. And I think more kids out there rather your time than your money, because we all know. There's a lot of corrupt people that are working in these charitable things. I give somebody some money, it never gets to where it's supposed to be. But if I were to be working directly with somebody and talking to them, they'll get much more out of that. And if I sense something's wrong with them, hell, I don't have a problem going in my pocket and just handing it to them myself. You know, that's the thing. Find out things that really makes a difference in your life that have that or or that have made a difference in your life and try to go support those causes. A, a champion's heart came mm -hmm. out in May. Yes. What was the inspiration behind that? And by the way, shout out to whoever's illustrated that thing because that's beautiful. Yeah. And oh, she, talk she, to she, us about she, it. She did a fantastic job. But uh, I have a friend of mine I went to school with, Wade Butler, and his sister, uh, Wendy Butler. Um, so she came up here maybe four years ago to run a marathon. And so I went to meet her and talk to her. And then we began to bounce stuff off because she was in the, da the data, data industry. Uh, that, you know, they got all these data uh, centers where they keep all the information from different companies. So we would have a lot of conversations and she began to tell me, she said, listen, you're like a walking quote book. <laughs> you know, she said, you motivate me. So she said, kids need something like this. So we started working on it maybe two years ago, maybe a year and a half to two years ago. And then we kind of got stagnant when the, when the uh, pandemic came around. And then I just called and said, look, we need to get this thing finished. And it's basically... What I was taught as a young man, my beliefs, and just trying to put it into a format where a kid can get it. And, and yes, it's more about football because that's what I did. But as I was told by some of my, my uncle told me, his daughter, who's a principal, she told me this book is good for people in any sport, in any walk of life, young and old, because it just talks about the key things of believing in yourself. You know, staying dedicated to something, never quit, never giving up, and just constantly trying to strive to get the things that you want to get. You know, and all those things are the same things I live by throughout my life. And I felt that it would be positive because a lot of young kids, especially a lot of young African-American kids, need somebody to, to be that positive influence on them. And I wanted to try and be that. Where do you go from there? We're going to let Brian go. I just got one question, if you're allowed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we stayed in the NFC East. What, do you just hate the Cowboys? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> you know, and, then, and this is the funny thing. I grew up as a Dallas Cowboys fan. I grew up in Louisiana. The Saints never won nothing. They were called the Aints, way bags on the head. I was a Cowboys fan. I was, I was more a big fan of Tom Landry than I was of the Cowboys. And I feel the way Jerry Jones handled him was the most disrespectful thing in the world. You know, you think back and you do some research. Tom Landry was the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, and the special teams coordinator. He was smooth as hell with that fedora hat on. Uh, yeah. The man had things happening. So I fell in love with that team because of how he handled and carried himself. And when they got rid of him, I disliked them. I stopped liking the Cowboys. And Doug Williams happened to be a family friend, grew up in Louisiana. He goes to Washington. I saw pulling for Washington. I happened to get drafted by Washington. So, and now I'm playing against Dallas for 10 years, which I you you hate them more and more and more. Then I go to Philly, and I think Philly might hate Dallas as much as Washington does. <laughs> you know? And New York the same way. So 
I just don't like them. And it's just the, the pompousness of them. America's team, my ass. I don't buy that. <laughs> Cage is going to like this question. This might actually be more for Cage than for you. But so you grew up in Louisiana. Yes. Okay. Played in Philly, played in New York. I don't know what they eat in D.C. But you get a choice. Your last meal, your last meal on earth. A nice jambalaya from your favorite spot in Louisiana, a nice cheesesteak from your favorite spot in Philly, or mm -hmm. pizza from your favorite place in New York City. What are you going with? I'm going with the jambalaya or something from well, and the favorite spot is my my wife is from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I don't know many restaurants that cook better than her. Oh. <laughs> and, and so I would probably go with that because I know how she puts some love into it. The jambalaya will probably be chicken, sausage, and shrimp. It's gonna be spicy like I like it. And she's going to make sure that flavor is popping. So I will absolutely have to go with that. Expect nothing else from this guy. Hates <laughs> the Cowboys. America's team. Loves last meal wants his wife's cooking. How do you, how do you beat this? <laughs> she ain't. This listen, my, my wife, we have three daughters together and I also have a son. She made sure all three of those girls can cook. So when Thanksgiving come around, she don't have much to do because those girls can absolutely burn. My girls are 19, 21. 27. My son is 32. He can cook too. So we know how to make sure we keep that Louisiana spice, that Louisiana cooking going on for years. So ago. I'll make you laugh and then we'll let you go. My last, I make Thanksgiving in my house mm -hmm. and my last three Thanksgivings have all been nailed up from Louisiana. <laughs> what you got? Deep fried turkey? Yeah. And a turducken. There you go. sausage inside the turducken. Oh, yes. I get the crawfish. Uh -huh. Yeah, we do like, you know, as I get there, do we sausage stuffing? I mean, just you name it. It's good stuff, man. So oh, I man. do. I, we go down there. I, I have a mail it all. It comes overnight in like a uh, you know, big, big freezing cooler. It's good yeah. stuff, man. You can't beat it. Nothing yeah. says Thanksgiving like Louisiana, Goldberg. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I, I had a great time in New Orleans once for uh, for New Year's. Yeah, we don't want to hear about that. He left. He <laughs> it was actually amazing. Believe it or not, I lost my phone at the hotel, and four months later, an amazing man found it, called my friend's number on it, and said, God put me up to this. You know, I don't want anything in return. I just want to get you your phone back. And he shipped me my phone back. This was an iPhone. Well, hey, that proves True story. you story. You got the one, the one honest person in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> the part he's leaving out is during those four months. That guy called Pakistan like forty-seven times. He got a very large bill for those four months. <laughs> Brian, if I could just wrap with this, so uh, there's a lot of young kids in the hobby. A lot of kids got into the hobby last year in sports cards to make some money to have fun. And the last six months. They've been crushed. The market hasn't been going as well as it did the last uh, 18 months or 12 months ago. Uh, and you mentioned your, your dad. He's clearly your hero. You mentioned him mm -hmm. a few times on this episode. Could you leave us with three pieces of wisdom that you know he may have said to you or he may have left with you? Or one. Go ahead. Or one. You're fine, one. <laughs> the three things that my dad left with me was, you know, that one little tip I told you earlier, you're Mitchell, you can do anything. And that what that did for me would make me made me realize that there was nothing I couldn't do, no matter what anybody tried to tell me. You know, I had teachers telling me what I should go into. I wanted to be a chemical engineer. And that's why I went to school under chemical engineering, because I was told I'm a Mitchell, I can do anything. Another thing, you know, that everything every, the way you want things to happen is not gonna always happen that way, but you don't stop. You keep fighting to make sure you can get it done. Like you said, the market changed, a lot of kids were crushed. But, you know, it's going to come back just like in the stock market. You know, if you put your if you put your money in quality stuff, they may dip. 
And you have to have show some level of patience, and then all of a sudden it comes back. Those people who run and leave and, and oh, I got to get rid of it. You get rid of it real cheap to somebody, then guess what? They capitalize off of what you should be capitalized off of. So patience is a virtue. That's another thing he taught me. And he also told me, make sure my grandkids' lives are way better than yours was, which means that I had to go out there and try to be better than my dad, who I thought was the best man in the world. So that's been a hard damn job for me. But I try my best to make sure that my kids have an easier life than I had. And I try to instill in them to do the same thing for my grandkids when they start to come. So it, so that's something that I feel I want to carry on and try to put forward. My dad wanted me to do it, and that's what I'm going to try to do with them. And it seems to be working now. Brian Mitchell, everybody. One of my favorites. This was a blast. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right. Take care. This episode of Lucas, Tigers, and Bronze was brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. Take it from someone who has personally submitted thousands of cards for grading. HGA slabs just hit different. They're top of the line and color coordinated to match the card itself. The aesthetics are unrivaled in the industry. When paired with the ease of submission and the transparency of the pricing model, HGA stands alone as the best choice for grading your cards. I believe that once you try them out, you will agree. Thanks for listening, Luca Nation. Thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe. Now, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. If you like us, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.